it comes from heaven and it hits the earth. It provides a seed for the sower. It provides growth. It provides fertilizer. You know, your word does the same when it hits our soul. It provides so much for us. And we want you, like the rain, to hit us with the power of your Holy Spirit, that your gifts may flow, that your power may flow, that the fruit of the Spirit and the motivation behind it, God, all of that may just influence us. We thank you for coming like the rain today. Wash us clean. Thank you for being such a gracious God, a God of compassion, a God of love, a God of justice, a God of truth, a forgiving God. And we thank you so much for it. And we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen and amen. You may be seated. It is so good to have you here this morning. We definitely mean that when we say that, that God has brought you here. And we thank him for that. And uh, his grace is definitely upon you today. And his spirit is there as well. And so we want to uh, let, let you know that uh, today is a real uh, unique and special day for us because we're going to be launching something today in the middle of the service. I'm going to be giving you some words. Uh, but also, I just, I, just, I just want you to know that in the last couple of three weeks, we have received words that we believe from people who have been very prophetic prophetic in the sense that I don't know what these words mean to you, but we know what they mean to us. And a couple of three weeks ago, one of the words we got had a lot to do with a word called proclamation. And so when we were up on our leadership retreat, we just began to proclaim the word of God. We found the situations that we found ourselves in. And then we began to take the word of God that was appropriate for that situation and speak it into that situation. And that happened uh, for a lot of us. And it was really great for some of us. And uh, and two weeks ago, there was another word we got, a word of encouragement, you know, to increase our faith. It was a word called breakthrough. That is, some of you who've been waiting on some breakthroughs, man, they're here. <laughs> they are actually here. And so we got that word. It was pretty good to hear that. And then just four or five days ago, uh, here again, we believe that these people are pretty prophetic. They don't they don't miss that much. The 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 other word that we got had a lot to do with restoration. Now, that word basically means God is restoring something, man. He is. He's restoring relationships. He's restoring visions. Uh, he's encouraging people. He's doing all kinds of stuff. So think about this. Proclamation, breakthrough, and restoration. That's <laughs> just fun. So I don't know what you're going through personally, but I'm pretty sure that one of those words are for you today. That, that God wants you to have a breakthrough. Amen, church. He, he wants you to get through it, man. And he's going to restore some stuff that the locusts have eaten. He's going to restore it. And you, you, you just need to go on and receive that and, and all that good stuff. So, so find that word of God that speaks to your situation. And look here. Proclaim it. I mean, speak to it. Let the word do exactly what you just got through worshiping on, coming like the rain and doing exactly what it intended to do. So I want to thank you as, as, as our summer rolls down and fall begins to hit. People are getting back into school and all that kind of stuff. People are ending their vacations. It's so good to have you here. So here's what we've been doing. Now, for the last couple of three weeks, we've been talking to you about grace and we've been talking to you about attitude. And we've been talking to you about having grace from God that allows you to use the power that he gave you 
to do things. He also wants you to be able to use your passion to get some things done, but also take your possessions and use it for his kingdom. Uh, time, talent, and treasure. So we've been talking to you about that for several weeks. And just last week, we opened up the scriptures that we're really going to be looking at for the next several weeks, and that's in Second Corinthians 8 and 9. So we started last week in Second Corinthians 8, and we just looked at what you would call the first nine verses. And those first nine verses had a lot to do with Jesus getting a hold of a people called the Macedonians. And he gave them an attitude. He gave them a grace to do something. He was talking to the Corinthians about that. Here's a people who had nothing. And basically what we were saying is, regardless of your earthly climate and the situations that you find yourself in, your financial portfolio doesn't mean anything other than the fact that your heavenly bank account is always full. Always full. It is always full. And that's what we learned last week. Well, this week, we're going to learn something about three words here. One's called reciprocity. The other one is called advantage. And the other one is called equality. Once you understand those three words. And then in the middle of what I'm sharing, I'm going to have a young man get up and share with you about what we're getting ready to launch. We've been, we've been really preparing you for this for quite some time. Now, here's what I don't want you to miss. If you think we're talking about money... You're missing it. Money is a byproduct way over here of what grace does in a person's life. So here's how we're going to do this today. I'm going to turn you into a cheering squad today. I'm just going to turn you into it. It's going to be cool. It's going to be kind of light. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to say, did you got it? You say, got it. I'm going to say, did you get it? You're going to say, got it, then I'm going to say, good. Okay? I just want you to know that because there's some points here that you cannot miss. I don't want you leaving out here today without, without getting these points. So when I say, got it, you say, got it, good. Now, watch it. Here we go. Got it? Good. Now, I'll say, did you get that? Good. Got that. Okay? Now, now y'all would be even more serious about that if you were sitting at a basketball football game. I am saying that thing. Okay? It's okay to do that in church. Okay? It's okay to get a little bit excited about church more than you do basketball football and say that thing, okay? So as we get going, you're going to get this. So it's real important now that you get these principles today because they have a lot to do with your life. And God's saying, I have given you what? Talent, giftedness. I have given you time, space. And guess what? I've given you treasure. I've also given you power, okay? I have given you passions, Okay, and I have given you what? Possessions. And I want you to use them for the kingdom. That's in everything that you do. So we're going to read this, okay? And if you will, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8? And we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 15. It says, now, I give you my opinion in this matter. For this is to your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago, and not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a man has and not according to what 
he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. And at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their want, that their abundance also may become a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. About a couple of weeks ago, a young man that I know real well came to me and talked to me about what had happened to his uh, financial portfolio a couple of weeks ago. And I felt bad for him because there was a couple other people who shared the same thing with me. And he said, Johnny, I want you to know, man, I've just lost close to $100,000 in one day. One day. I mean, I felt bad for the guy. So he was rearranging some some things on his portfolio. And so this stock market thing, man, hit this guy hard. Matter of fact, it's hit Greece. It's hitting America hard. Now, why do I say that to you? Because I want you to understand this, and I want you to understand this principle. See, that the stock market in man's economy, listen to me, man's economy is based upon the principles of buying and selling. But God's economy is based upon giving and receiving. Did you get that? Good. I'm going to say it one more time. Man's economy is based upon buying and selling. That's what the stock market is really about. If there's confidence in the stock market because people are exchanging all those concurrencies, whatever kind of portfolio you have, it's based upon buying and selling. So if the selling market is not good or the buying market is not good, people withdraw. There's a lack of confidence. And then everybody's affected by that. But here's the difference. When you're in God's economy, here's what happens. God says all you have to do is just give. With grace and attitude. And guess what? I'll take care of you. You get that? Good. Now, this is why in this part of the message, I want you to understand, when now you're talking about possessions, okay, now you're talking about those things that God has put in your care. And it's really important for you to understand why when we start with grace and we start with attitude, we start with power and passion and time and talents. Now when we get to the part of just physically giving something, it all lays out. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to go and we're going to make a statement to you. And we're going to look at another section of Scripture. Then before we get back to this verse 10 through 15, I'm going to have somebody share something with you that we've been working on for the last three or four months. So if you will, will you jump on over with me back to Acts, uh, the uh, uh, second chapter? Uh, and I want to read something to you about what happens when God gets a hold of a culture. We already read last week how he got a hold of the Macedonians. But this is how he wants to get a hold of us here in the United States, especially here in Fort Collins. Here's his Christ Fellowship. So look here, starting with Acts 2, verse 41. It says, so then those who had received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a new society. They're up under new management. 
Peter preached, people get saved, and guess what? Now God is saying, I am going to provide for this society. Just like he's saying, I'm going to provide for you. And there's something that I want you to do that's going to be different from mankind, but I want man to be able to see that it's me. It's my economy, not man's economy. So he gets these 3,000 people. Now, let me tell you something, man. At one point in time, Eos was around 2,500 people. Big, big. We had all kind of stuff. So now what you see here, the first thing you see is conversion. That's the first thing you see here in verse 41. Now, 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 I want you to understand something about conversion, why it's so important. Because what I, what I want you to understand is Fort Collins is growing. Fort Collins is somewhere around 150,000 people right now. And there may be, maybe some 25,000, 30,000 Christians in this place. Now think about it. Those 25,000, 30,000 Christians are all huddled up in some little group and maybe about 60 to 70 churches in this town. Now, think about it. The ratio of people that are being converted versus the size of Fort Collins, that, that, that number is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So let's say you've got 50 to maybe 80 churches that exist. And those Christians, you and I, are huddling up in this little small group. Now, Fort Collins is moving not only from 150 but 175 to 200. So that same group of people, instead of what? Understanding the power of conversion, we just huddle up. Next thing you know, there's 200,000 people in this city. Next thing you know, there's only so many Christians to go around. And instead of us reproducing, we just switch from one church to the next. And we keep going. All of a sudden, there's 500,000 people in this city, and there's still 25,000, 30,000 Christians. See, there's a principle here. Replacement value and conversion is God's heart. Did you get that? good. I want you to understand that. You don't say that real excitingly because that's your responsibility and that's mine. And that's what it's about, reaching out and telling people about the love of Jesus Christ. That's the principle. So you see in verse 41, conversion. Then the second thing you see here in verse 42, it says that they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The next thing you see there is called character. Because that's how they are displayed with character here. They devote themselves to the word of God. Things are happening, man. There's something about those people that are different, okay? Because they know where their food is coming from. Look at verse 43. And it says, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many watched his wonders, and signs were taking place through the apostles. Watch this, ladies and gentlemen. It's called climate. The church has to have a climate of signs and wonders. Church has to have a climate where people come and see that God is real, man. God is healing people. God is raising folk from the dead, giving people their eyes back. God is what? God is giving living back, all kinds of stuff. That's what the climate of the church should be. And she's different from any other climate. Okay? So not only do you have what uh, is uh, called here uh, the, the, the conversion, the character, but you also have a climate. People are going, ah, in the church. Now, is there all here? That's between you and God. I know there's R here. Is there R in your life? You got to ask your question, where did the R go? Where is the awesomeness in your life? When we gather together, man. And then watch this. Watch verse 44. Verse 44 said, and all those who have believed were together and had all things in common. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not talking about communism or socialism. 
He said, man, that, man, man, there's a culture. There was something about those people who realized something, that what they had didn't belong to themselves. Now, watch this. Then you go to verse 45. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. That's verse 45. That is called charity. Charity is not just generosity, but charity is saying, I give generously, but I'm also going to get down in the lives of people that I give to, and I'm going to do something with those folks. And then he moves on here in verse 46, and he says, And day by day, uh, continually in one mind in the temple, breaking bread from together with gladness. And I'm sorry, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Now you see here in verse 46, you see competence. You see competence. And, and, and there's something about us being competent as believers to do these things. And then let's look at verse 47. It says, And praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, we got one more verse, and I'm going to call this young man up here to talk to you. Now, check out verse 41. Verse 41 talks about conversion. All right? But look at what verse 47 talks about. Verse 47 talks about, let me get this out for you, chemistry. So you've got what? Conversion, character, climate, culture, charity, competence, and chemistry. Paul was trying to tell the Corinthians, here is a people over here in Macedonia, very poor, but they had what? They had a boatload of liberality. They also had an abundance of joy because of what was happening here in verse 41 through 47. So the key before we show you this next scripture and then have this person come share with you that God will add if those ingredients are there. If conversion is taking place because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God is the one who starts it. God is the one who makes it go. God is the one who adds to it. That's the key. And at any point in your marriage, at any point in your job, at any point in your relationship, where you don't stay with God's principles, is going to be that point where the process gets halted. Now, I just want to encourage you in this. Is there anywhere in your life right now where it just ain't happening? I'll say this to you. There's a principle that you're not engaging in. It's just that simple. I just want to encourage you in this. A brand new life in Christ is beautiful. But what's next is growth. They just can't stay there. Okay? And then God says, I'll add signs and wonders. I'll add equality. I'll add advancement. I will add character. I will add competence. I'll add climate. Because, see, the statement that we made last week was this. Regardless of your earthly circumstances and the climate that you're in, Regardless of your financial portfolio, your heavenly bank account is always 
Yes, it is. Always. Okay? And so 41 and 47 become bookends. Now, let me read this last set of scripture to you. Let me just read it to you. Okay? And and, and I want to just let you know, go over to Acts 4. Go over to Acts 4. And I'm going to read verse 32 through 37. But this is called a voluntary society. It says, And the congregation of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles was given witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of the land and houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales, and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any would have need. And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprus and birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which was translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, before I bring this young man up here, I want you to know that those three words that we heard in three consecutive weeks— it's happening to people in this church. Happening. When we begin to proclaim the word of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to get this. When you begin to proclaim proclamation, speak out scripture into your situation, not feelings, not thoughts, not behavior, but scripture into your situation, it will change. It'll change. Second of all, proclamation, breakthrough. We've already had testimony this week of a few people that I have talked to have had breakthrough in their life as if somehow they were behind bars in certain things. And what I mean by bars, I mean iron bars or bronze bars. That word came out of Isaiah 45. You need to read that, Isaiah 45, 1 through 7. You need to read it because it's for you. Breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. There's been things that have been holding on you for a long time, and God says, I want to bust it. Breakthrough. And we've got people sitting in this room right now who just experienced a breakthrough. Third thing, okay, restoration. God is restoring things in your heart. He's He's restoring it. It is. It's happening. We see it. We hear it. And so when we sit up here and begin to talk to you about something that we're excited about, how God has got us where he's gotten us today, and about a year, maybe two, three, four months, we won't be in this place. We'll be in a place totally different physically because it's happening. We've got breakthrough as a church. There's a lot going on. But in the middle of it, don't forget about reaching out to the unchurched and the unsaved. In the middle of it, don't give, don't, don't, uh, miss discipleship in the sense that you need to pour your life into somebody else as they pour your life into them. And don't forget about neighboring. God just wants you to reach out to your neighbor. So we've got something that's exciting that's happening. We've been working on it for about three, four months now. I'm going to call this young man up. I want you to give him your undivided attention. Jesus has some things that have been laid in his lap that has just been great. And we're getting ready to do it. 
Okay. So I want you, if you will, just give a warm hand to Kelly, to, to Carrie Hitchens. He's going to come up and talk to you. Carrie, come on up. Good morning, Jesus. Can y'all hear me? You know, the first thing I was uh, that occurred to me was Johnny referred to me as a young man about four times, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, the other thing was after the first service, you know, typically I would go home and, and go on about my day, and 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 I, you know, for the to be here um, to talk to you, obviously I needed to stay for the second service, so. I have a renewed appreciation for the people who do that. I was talking to um, some of the people in the choir. They, they're here at 6 o'clock in the morning getting ready every week. And what occurred to me is, is I've often heard this said that 90% of the work is done by about 10% of the people. And, and that that's not unusual. And, and I'm not trying to chastise anybody. Please don't take it that way. But in regard to this building campaign, that won't work. We, we need everybody involved. So, you know, I, I had a, an idea of what I wanted to say, and that all changed about 3 or 4 o'clock this morning when I couldn't sleep and had some thoughts going through my head. And, and I hope this doesn't sound self-indulgent, but I wanted to tell you a little bit about my walk with ESIS and how it's impacted my life. When I came here, I moved here from, from Southern California. I was not a believer. And, um ESIS was over there at Poudre High School, and as a result of the prayer cards, and we hear, you know, um, that referred to often, you know, don't don't shortchange that. As a result of those prayer cards, my wife started coming to um, church over there, and she would come home and tell me uh, how wonderful it was, and I would think, good for you. Um, and she kept going, and she'd come back and tell me more things, and good for you. Um, but, you know, she was fairly persistent about trying to get me to come, and I did. And when I woke up this morning, uh, Lynn asked me, are you nervous? And and my thought was, well, it wasn't. Um, and, and, I, and, and I'm not particularly nervous. And, and I say that only to say that there was a time in my life I would have been extremely uncomfortable walking into any church. And uh, so, so to go back to my story... I, I w- was over there at Poudre High School, and as Johnny does, after every service, he gives that invitation for, the, you know, if, is this your day? You know, do you want to give your life to Christ this day? If so, you know, stand up. And I saw some people to my left stand up, and and I saw someone over here stand up, and, and before I realized it, I was standing. And and my son, it was eight or nine at the time, he was was standing right next to me. And uh, we were subsequently baptized uh, together here in this church. My beautiful baby girl, who apparently is sleeping in this morning, was uh, also baptized in this church. I was able to, you know, actually dip her into the water. My wife was baptized here. We were remarried here. Um, and that's a story for, for another day. Uh, and... And one of my dearest friends, you know, I don't have a whole lot of heroes in life, but this guy was a hero to me, and, and his memorial service was here in this church. And he had come to, a, you know, a few services over the years that, that, you know, I was fairly persistent about inviting him, and more often than not, he would beg off, but he had come to a few, and a couple months before he died, he was in town, and, and I had asked him to come, and, and he came, 
and at the end of that service, as, as Johnny always does, he gave that invitation, and, and this man stood up, and his wife stood up with him. So, and, and my story isn't unique. Uh, you know, Eustace has a legacy in this town. Pastor Johnny, Pastor Rick have impacted so many people just like that. And, and I know there are you, there's people right here now that have had similar experiences. And, and those of you who haven't, you will. And, and my hope is that you, you have those experiences here with Eustace. So, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about that. When Johnny first uh, approached me about getting involved in this, um, I had some questions about that. And, and I'm sure some of you have some questions too. And, and I just encourage you, if you have questions about past, present, future, please ask me or ask other parts of the group. And you'll be meeting those people uh, in the coming weeks. I'll introduce them to you. But um, my first question was, you know, we're going to start this building fund is why? Why do we need a building? And Johnny's response was, we need a home. Our church needs a home for the same reasons that we as individuals need a home. We need a base of operations. You know, there's things we want to do that we simply can't do here at the Hilton. And they've been great to us. I don't mean to um, discredit them in any way. But, you know, there's things we can't do here. Secondly, we need some sense of permanency. You know, when I, when I told you my story, we stood up over there at Tudor High School. We were baptized over there on Drake. My wife and daughter were baptized over at 363 Jefferson. So we need that sense of permanency. And, you know, as I go about my life and talk to people about, you know, where do you go to church? And, and they ask me where I go. I go to Eustis. And their response is inevitably, where are you guys now? And so I think that sense of permanency is important. And as I mentioned, you know, Pastor Johnny, Pastor Rick's legacy here, ESS has a legacy of, of impacting this community that goes back a long, long way. And, and this campaign that we're starting is an opportunity, and I, I hope that you see it as an opportunity rather than an obligation. But it's an opportunity for everyone here to have a legacy that's, that's personal to them. You know, one of the things that we've talked about is building for the future with present day obedience. And, and I'm of the opinion there's nothing wrong with being proud of that obedience. And, and when we've completed this journey, when we can look to our new home and, and you can say, this is what we did. This is what my family did. You know, we had a garage sale or my, my children had a lemonade stand or something along that line. Um, so, you know, the opportunity to be personally involved in that, I think, is important. If there's one thing that I want to, to drive home, it is, is that participation. You know, Johnny talked about byproduct. And I, I think that the dollars that we need will be a byproduct of everyone's participation. But that's what we have to have. It, you know, if you're sitting there and we're talking about, I should go back up a little bit. Um, Johnny first talked to me about um the church's goal was to raise 1.5 million. And, you know, I was a little struck by that number, as I'm sure you are. Through Johnny's efforts and, and I assume other people, we have donors lined up that have already committed to 1.25 of that. They want to see us have some skin in the game as well. They want to see this church involved, engaged, and excited. So the rest of that is our responsibility. Um, and we can do that. I mean, 
all of us together, we can do that. And that's the, the thing I want to drive home is that we can do this. I think all of us together, we can't lose. But if we don't have everyone, if we don't have full participation, then we more than likely we'll have a complete failure. So I, I wanted to, to make that point. And lastly, you know, in regard to this being an opportunity, you know, I'm going to borrow a line from, from one of my favorite books. When we get to the end of this, to have started this journey together, shoulder to shoulder, have walked this path and completed this, man, the sense of camaraderie that's going to permeate this place is, is going to be some neat stuff. So I, I just want to say that to, to watch this grow up about, about you, to have your life take on new meaning, to have a host of new friends, man, that's an experience you don't want to miss. And, and I implore you not to miss it. So, church, did you get that? Good. Good job, man. Good job. Okay. Now, I didn't, I didn't know all of, I knew some of the things that Kerry uh, was going to share. But I didn't know all the things that he was going to share. Now, uh, it's not ironic that what he shares with you is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. And Jerusalem is hurting. Okay? She's hurting. And what Paul is trying to say to her that you're going to be hearing in the weeks to come is that you benefited, Corinth, off of the spirituality of the Jews in Jerusalem. And therefore... She, in Jerusalem, Corinth, should benefit off of your material gain because you're here because of her. Everybody in this room is here because of somebody else, because somebody else shared the truth with them. Somebody else shared the gospel with them. Somebody else took the time to be a conduit for the love of Jesus Christ. And and so that's all Carrie was saying to you. But this follows along the story. So then... All right, you have heard Acts 2, 41 through 47, a new society, just like you. You also heard Acts 4, 32, all the way to 37, a volunteer society that gave their time, their talent, and their treasures. God allowed them to have a power, possessions, and passions. Now, when we look from verse 10 to verse 15, there's a statement that I want to make to you. And here's the statement, because we're getting ready to close this real quick. But I'm going to take you back to these five verses, or these six verses, and that's this. God's economy creates reciprocity. I'll give you that meaning. So that you can have an advantage. And in that advantage, God will create an equal playing field for you when you have a surplus and when you have a deficiency. God's economy will establish reciprocity. And in that reciprocity, God will give you an advantage. You'll have that advantage so that he in that will create for you an equality so that when you have a surplus, God will use it for a purpose. And when you have a deficiency, God will supply you with something. 
Now, let me first of all give you the definition of those three words, and then we will finish up this message today. Now, reciprocity means the practice of exchanging things with others for mutual benefit. God, okay, will establish in his economy reciprocity to you. And you'll get an advantage. That advantage will be given to you. And the word advantage basically means a condition or circumstances that will put one in favorable position to receive benefit or profit. That's what an advantage would do. He's going to do that for you. And then he's going to create equality in the sense that's a state of being on a level playing field in status and rights and opportunity. That's what God is going to do for you. That's what he is doing for you. Now. Let's go back to verse 10 in 2 Corinthians 8, and let's finish this up. Now, when you go back to verse 10, let's see what he's trying to say to the Corinthians as a result of what happened to the Macedonians that we read verse 1 through 9 last week. It says, and I give you my opinion in this matter. And all Paul is saying, God has given him revelation to make a statement, because I don't know anywhere in the word of God where God asks you or me his our opinion about anything. But but Paul is saying this because this word opinion now means a mind concerning what you ought to be doing. It's a view and it's also a judgment. Now when he says, I have given you my opinion in this matter, the matter is this, that there's something happening in Jerusalem. Jerusalem needs you. There's something happening in your life. You need God. But he's saying, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage. You have a favor. You have an edge. You can help. You're going to profit from it. It's going to be expedient to you. But he says, who were what the first to began a year ago? You started it. There's something that you wanted to do. Now, how many of you in this room before has started something, but it got interrupted? How many of you in this room knew that when you got something, you were going to do it, but all of a sudden something happens and it slowed the ship down? There are many of you in this room today that still have blessings awaiting you because it's been interrupted. Now, I'm telling you about the breakthrough. God says you're going to break through it. You're going to break through it. And he said, hold on, you started it a while back, and guess what? You started this thing. He said, you were the first to begin a year ago, and not only to do it, watch this, not only to participate, watch this, ladies and gentlemen, but also to desire to do it. You have a desire in you. You have resolve in you. You have a purpose in you, and you look to delight in it. The Corinthians had that. Paul is just saying, in my judgment, you already had the favor and the will to do it. Don't you know that the initial act of giving that you had a long time ago, don't you know that this was something prompted by the Spirit? Now look at verse 11. He says, for now, finish doing it. Finish it. Bring it to an end. Bring it to an accomplishment. Be complete with it. Execute it. You know there's been times in your life where there's some things unfinished in your life, man. You know that. It's in my life, I know. And he says, just as these things, just as there was the readiness. And I talked to some football players a couple of days ago about the word readiness. See, some people talk about preparedness is more important than having success. That's true. But there's something more important than preparedness. You know what it's called? Readiness. Are you ready? That's why when you get to the starting line, you got this person that shoot this gun and go, ready, set, go. Why? Because he's saying, are you ready to run a 100? Are you ready to run a mile? Are you ready to run? 
run a marathon have you prepared because that is the finish line. So when he says readiness to desire, he means uh, inclination of mind, which is a readiness of mind, a zeal, a spirit, and an eagerness. And the desire says, I like to do it. And he says, just as there was the what? The readiness to desire it, so there may be also the what? The completion of it. Finish it. Impose it to an end. Watch this. And it is by your ability. There is something that you possess. There's something that you got skill in. And all Paul is saying, look, man, let your motive in the beginning bring this to completion so that your skill and power can make it happen. Now, watch this. Look here at verse 12. It says this. For the readiness, if the readiness is present now, it is according to. Uh, it is acceptable according is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what a man doesn't have. Let me tell you something. God may not never make you a millionaire or a billionaire. It, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. What you got is what God wants. That's it. It, it ain't got nothing to do with what you don't have. It's got everything to do with what you do have. And then he says, he says to condition and measured by a person's possession, not by someone, uh, a non-ownership. Now we're getting down to the nuts and bolts of this. We're getting ready to close this. Verse 13, it says, for this is not for the ease of others or for your affliction. Look here. God is not saying I'm going to take the millionaire or the billionaire and I'm going to afflict him. So he can take all of his hard-earned money and give it to you. It don't work like that. Because when I sit up and talk to these millionaires and billionaires of what I'm doing now, and I'll be doing it for the rest of my life, because I want them to understand, man, that they were blessed. And I want them to appreciate the fact that they have worked hard for that. I want them to appreciate the fact that you know what they've done? They've created jobs. They've stirred up the economy. And that's God's blessing on their life. But there's portions of that that is to be used for God's work. It is. And it's for the work of the kingdom. So Paul is not saying, Corinthians, all this riches that you got, God's going to afflict you. He's not. But what he's going to do is he's going to do something beautiful. Okay. Then he says, here it is for verse 14, the whole Enchilada. And at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their want, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there be equality. You, you, you got you to get this one. Now, 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 I want you to understand. I'm going to say it again. Here's what this is saying to you. Whether it's power, whether it's passion, or whether it's possession. Whether it's time, whether it's talent, or whether it's treasure. There's going to come a time where you're going to have an abundance of it for just a moment or even for a lifetime. But there's also going to come a time where you're going to have a deficiency in it. And when you are in abundance, that's going to be for somebody else's need. Did you get that? Good. And when you 
have a deficiency, somebody else's abundance is going to be for your need. That's what's called reciprocity. And God says, that's my economy. There's going to be times when your gift ain't going to be enough. And somebody else's giftedness are going to come in and make it work. There's going to be a time when you don't have the time, but somebody else's time is going to come in and make it work. There's going to be a time where God's going to overload you with finances just for a moment, even if it's for a lifetime, but it's going to be for somebody else. That's God's economy. That's how God took care of the people in the wilderness of what we're getting ready to close with, because here's what verse 15 says. Look at it. And it is written. He who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little had no lack. See, it don't take much for you to go back to Esther 16 and see that God took a people for himself, raised them up for 400 years in Egypt, and then caused Moses to pull them out of that place. When they got out of the place, they left with more than they came in with. Pharaoh said, you take whatever you need. They were only supposed to be in that wilderness, ladies and gentlemen, for 40 days. They wound up being in the wilderness for 40 years. You know why? Because of hard-headedness and disobedience. And so he began to take care of them. Obviously, they could eat all the animals that they had. There were no more animals around that they could hang out with. There were no more grocery stores and malls they could go to because they were no slaves to fashion. If you begin to look at Deuteronomy 8, you'll see that their, their, their sandals didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out, and guess what, man? They had a cloud over their head every single day for 40 years. And at nighttime, guess what they did? They had the sun, they had some kind of fire that warmed them up for 40 years. God wanted the world to know that he was their supplier. God wants you to know that he is your supplier. He wants you to know that. And your supply ain't going to be horizontal. It ain't going to come from your boss. It's not going to come from your job. It's going to come vertically from God. That's what he wants you to know. But in Exodus 16, they start complaining. Hey, we want to go back to Egypt, man. We want to go back and eat the lease and the onions and all that kind of stuff. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you quail. Gave them so much quail, they, man, they threw it up. Then they started complaining about water. He had Moses hit the rock. Guess what happened? Water flew down, down in a valley for 2.5 million people to drink. They didn't know that the water was following them underground. They didn't even know that because God was trying to show the world who he was to those people. He's trying to show the world who he is through you. And then he says, all right, Moses, here's what we're going to do. I want the people each morning to get up because I'm going to bring some manna from heaven. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the manna from heaven. Okay. But in the Old Testament, that manna came every day. All right. He said, Moses, but I want you to tell you something. There's some people that are going to have 15, 20 kids. And then there's some that's only going to have four, maybe five. So those who have this big old family, I don't want them to gather too much. And for those who are rich, for those who are billionaires and millionaires, I don't want you to get to the point where you gather too much. So he said this. 
He says, here's what we're going to do. I just want them to gather just enough for their family. That's it. And when it comes to the sixth day, I want them to gather for an extra day because on Sundays, the the manna will not come. Guess what happened? See, these people would get this stuff that would come out of heaven every morning. And they start complaining because, you know, they didn't want to make manna burgers, man. They didn't. They didn't want to make manna waffles. They, They didn't want to make any of that. And all of a sudden, some of them started gathering too much. That Sunday morning, when they looked over to try to say, God is not going to provide for me, when they looked in these little pouches that they had, you know what that manna turned into? Turned into maggots, man. You know why? Because God is saying, man, do you trust me? Do you trust me with your life? Do you trust me that I could be the source of your happiness, that I could be the source of your pleasure? Do you trust me that I can use your talents to turn the world upside down? And if I can do it some 1,400 or 2,000 or 5,000 years ago to a people that ain't got half is what you got, how much more do you think I'll do for you? Did you get that, church? Good. I want you to understand that. And so when he puts this here, so when the ones who got four and said, I'm not sure I'm going to have enough for tomorrow, they kept a little bit. It turned into maggots too. So what are we saying as we close this today? We started some five, six months ago getting you ready for this. We started in January talking to you about being disciples. Why? Because of replacement value. We want you to realize that Isis is not going to grow like she grew in the past. She's not going to grow because people are hopping churches. People get dissatisfied with the church they were at. We're not going to grow that way. We're going to grow by evangelism. By you reaching out to your neighborhood right where you live. And sharing the love of Jesus Christ. And then when those people say yes to Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit is doing it, the next thing you're going to do is you're going to raise them up. Because that's what Jesus said. And that's what the Holy Spirit put in you to do. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what a new society does. That's how it takes care of itself. It makes more believers. It takes care of them with power. It takes care of them with what? Passion. And it takes care of them with possessions. And that's what makes the Christian faith grow. We started five, six months ago. So when we got to the part that are you ready to buy a building? It wasn't about money. It was about grace. It was about attitude. That's what it's about. And when you start there, everything you need is going to be supplied for. Why? Because whatever you lack, he's going to give it to you. And your identity is not based on your portfolio. It's not. It ain't based upon how many kids you have or don't have. It's based upon a relationship you got with the living God. And that's where we're going. And we want you to be with us. That's what we want. So, then, I'm asking all of you 
who are prophetic start prophesying. I'm asking all of you who are charismatic walk in the gifts of the Spirit. I'm asking all of you who have grown up in the Spirit and the Word of God, let's bring it. Because we have to go reach for Collins for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we got to do. We're not going to grow like every other church is growing. We're not. That's not who we are. And signs and wonders will happen here. They will. They will. That, 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 that culture will happen here. That climate will happen here. That character will happen here. Because God has ordained it. We need you, Jesus. We need everything you got. Did you get that, church? Good. So we're going to take up our offering. Get ready to close. I would like to ask some of you in this room, thank you for your patience. I know there's been some things you've been wanting to see, but I've had to be patient to build the foundation of it. I've had to, and I've got to build it God's way. And, and, and I need you. I need your giftedness. I need your time. I need your talents. I need everything you got. Because there is about 100,000 people out there in the city of Fort Collins that don't know Jesus Christ at all. And we need to go get them. We need to go get them. And we need to get our portion as 6,200 college students. 6,200 freshmen that moved in to CSU two weeks ago. 6,200. God wants some of them here. I'm praying that they go to somebody's church, but we might as well get our portion too. Let's go do it, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go do it. Father, we want to thank you so much for being gracious to Jesus. And being patient with her. Mostly me. Father, we can't do it without you. And Father, as a church, we repent. I repent. And Holy Spirit, you're more than welcome in this place. We ask that you would give us the power to release that which you've given us that you may be honored in all that we do. Bless this offering. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.